From the Financial Times in London, I'm Gemma Tetlow and this is FT News. The world's developed economies are wealthier than ever, in fact more than 70% larger in real terms than they were in 1992. But in spite of this, our societies are politically less stable and more socially divided than they have been for many decades. People don't seem to feel better off. Some of the discrepancy between the data and our perceptions may be down to the way we measure prosperity, and in particular our reliance on gross domestic product, or GDP, as a gauge. David Pilling, the FT's Africa editor, has been looking into this question, and his book, The Growth Delusion, has just been published. He's here with me to discuss it. David, tell us what's wrong with GDP growth as a measurement of prosperity. Well, I think the clue is in the name, gross domestic product. This is a gross number. It's not a net number. So broadly, I would say there are three areas that we can think of. The first is this is an aggregate number. It doesn't tell us anything about distribution. And clearly, as you say, there's a lot of dissatisfaction. That's partly because there's inequality and people generally don't like inequality unless, of course, they happen to be on the top of that equation. The second thing is it doesn't tell us anything about sustainability. GDP is a flow measure. It's a measure of income over a given period and also a backward-looking measure. But what it's not is a balance sheet or a measure of wealth. So it doesn't tell us anything about natural capital, human capital, invested or produced capital, or indeed financial capital. We only look at financial capital in terms of, for example, debt. But we don't see the whole picture, human capital and natural capital. And so we have no idea whether an economy can produce the same amount of income that it produced this year, next year, Saudi Arabia and oil being a prime example, when the oil runs out, what will happen to the Saudi economy? The third is we don't know what's in GDP. GDP just measures everything. It's a measure of everything we produce. That's good things and bad things. So it includes pollution, it includes Kim Jong-un's missiles, and it includes plastic. You've already mentioned a few things like oil. What are some of the other more absurd aspects of the way that we measure GDP? Well, measuring oil isn't absurd, obviously, as a a kind of a wealth measure. But for example, in Britain, we count heroin and prostitution as part of GDP. In fact, we do across Europe. That's another problem that although we use GDP to compare one country with another, not all countries use exactly the same methodologies. So, for example, America doesn't count crime. So hard drugs don't count in American GDP. They do in British GDP. Now, Hopefully, these aren't such large amounts, although apparently drugs and prostitution contribute about £10 billion to British GDP. But they're not such large amounts that they're going to skew the whole figure. But you can also begin to see there's a certain arbitrariness in the way that we measure our economies. And how did our reliance on GDP come about? Well, GDP was invented really in the 1930s by Simon Kuznets. It was invented because there was a need to find out what was happening to the American economy at a time after the Wall Street crash and the Great Depression. And FDR wanted to spend a lot of government money to counteract this, but he didn't really have the data to work on. He had things like freight car loadings. He had unemployment numbers. He had the stock market index. But what he didn't have was a kind of snapshot or a single number that told him what the economy was doing. So Simon Kuznets went around and in a sense came up with a way of combining all this into one number. 
the concept of GDP then really became solidified in the run-up to the Second World War when it became very important to work out how much an economy could produce and also how many armaments it could produce and whether one would impinge on the other. And as a result of those two really sort of momentous episodes, we've in a sense got locked into a number that was very good in the manufacturing age but is much, much less good in an age where services dominate our modern economies. What are the alternatives and do you think GDP still retains some usefulness? Well, first of all, let's get this straight. I'm absolutely not saying that we should ditch GDP. GDP is a very useful number and it's often a very good proxy for the things we do want, whether that's health, education, wealth or, yes, things. GDP is particularly good, I would say, for poor countries on their trajectory up to middle income status, where there really is a close but not perfect correlation between what we might desire of societies and what societies themselves might desire and income as measured by GDP, then it begins to get less correlated and more fuzzy. I think there are some good other measures and some of them we already have. Median household income begins to tell you much, much more, for example, about distribution. CO2, something we obviously measure although not all countries take it as seriously as they might. But CO2 is a rough proxy for what we're doing to the environment. I think they might be much more sophisticated measures of natural capital. I think some balance sheet measure, some measure of wealth would be good. And the World Bank, in fact, has come out with a big study of 141 countries over 20 years this week. So this is possible and it's something that is evolving. And finally, and perhaps most difficult, some measure of well-being. And these are complements to GDP. They're not to replace it, but they are to flesh out the picture of our economies. Thank you, David. Let's hope your book and the debate in genders leads to a more reliable way of measuring economic outcomes. For anyone who'd like to read The Growth Delusion, there are links at the end of this podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Brian, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.